Welcome to your emotions. We are innately, all of us, emotional beings. Some of us show them more. Some of them show, show them less. Some of us show them not at all. Oh, but they're there. They're part of who we are. And they drive us, and they affect us, and they consume us and control us sometimes. And um, there are certain ones that it is the, it, it's often the focus of our lives to achieve them. We want to feel certain things. We want to feel alive. We want to feel good. We want to feel pleasure or pleasant. We want to feel satisfaction. We want to feel energized. We chase emotional states of happiness or peace or love. And some of our drive is just to eliminate some of the other ones, to eliminate certain feelings, the feelings of loneliness or sadness, disappointment, rage, bitterness, And for some of us, we actually try to put some energy into trying to understand them, to try to learn what it means to cope with them, to understand their purpose in our lives and see what to do about them. We're going to take a short series. I'll say it from the very beginning. We're not going to solve your emotional state in this series. We're not going to be exhaustive about this. But we believe around here that God, the God who made us, designed us And where we live is where he wants to be. That he's got perspective and direction on the things that we actually walk through and feel. And that part of you, that emotional part of you, is a central part of what he designed. He's got some things to say about it. We're going to explore their place and their significance in our lives. Especially, we're going to focus on some of the tough ones. Because they get our attention more. Now, I want to take just a few minutes and just tease us out a little bit about what it means for you and I to be emotional beings. And then we're going to, today, we're going to land a little bit on the first of several, and we're going to talk about stress, the emotions associated with stress in your life. So we'll survey anybody feel any stress recently. Okay, hang on to that. Here's what's true about us as emotional beings. They are a central part of what it means to be a person. You as a created image bearer of God have a distinction from all all the rest of the universe in that you are a person. Theologians for centuries have pretty much agreed that a big part of being a person is that we carry around with us, we possess a combination of intellect, emotion, and will. I'd like to invite you to remember those terms. We're going to come back. Intellect, emotion, and will. Those things are reflective of the image of God. They are a big part of what makes us like God and distinct from a whole lot of other things that God made. You are walking around with a bundle of intellect, emotion, and will. And that emotional part of you is a reflection of God who is a person. He is not just a force. He's not just an idea. He is not human, but he is a person. God has intellect, God has emotion, and God has will. When, he, when God describes himself in ways that we can understand, even though we're not like him, he says, here's some similarities, and he uses emotional terms to describe himself. Here's a list of, of the emotions that are described to God in the Bible. God is, ha, displays, he feels anger, laughter and exhilaration, compassion, grief, love, hate, jealousy, joy, sorrow, sadness. All of those are ascribed to God. God feels things. He feels things. Now, here's a distinction about God. 
That is, the, when God has those emotions and he feels those, his versions of them are holy. They are pure. They're uncontaminated. But he feels them nonetheless. And that is significant when we think about what happens in our own lives. Because our emotions, as you know, they have the potency to over, have, be overwhelming in what they do and the influence they exert in our lives, don't they? You, we're starting this series in February, and this weekend's weather notwithstanding, February is a time where there are overwhelming emotions of actually what's called sad, right? The disorder that says we don't get enough vitamin D and, and sun, seasonal affective disorder. We feel things, and they can be so strong that often our emotions get assumed to be the defining part of our entire state of mind. You say, how are you doing, or what's new in your life, and the thing we focus on is what we're feeling at that moment. That is who we are in our own minds sometimes. They can easily define us, and they can overwhelm us. And the Bible is very honest about this. There is example after example about emotions overwhelming. Here's, here, the Psalms are full of it, but here's just one Psalm. Psalm 116.3 says, the, the psalmist says, the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave came over me, and I was overcome by some emotions, trouble and sorrow. People who responded to Jesus responded, they, they, made, they took action based on this emotion. All the people, the region of the Gerasenes, asked Jesus to leave them because why? They were overcome with fear. It defined who they were. And we can actually say it a little bit about Jesus. He understood what it was like to, for his emotions to be so strong that they felt like they were overwhelming him. Look, this is what he said in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said to them, Matthew 26, 20, 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You can feel overwhelming emotions but they're oftentimes equated with who we are. God's going to say something about that. And some of, let's just be honest, we're honest around here. Some of you in the room, some of us in the room right now, are right now, you are consumed with a particular emotion. Something that is affecting you so deeply that it is coloring everything you see and everything you do and your perspective, and you're not sure what to do with that. It's not an uncommon thing for that to be true. Others of us in the room, because our emotions are so potent, there are some of you here who are so nervous about your emotions, so worried about your emotions, that you do everything you can to suppress them, to convince yourself that you don't feel them. And so you stuff them, and you don't express them, and you think they're, you, don't, you don't trust them. Under God, who designed us and has a perspective on how we feel, there are some important revelations that he's given about our emotions. And again, I'm, this, we could spend more time on this, but I'm just going to give it as an overview. First of all, here's something that we glean from God's word about our emotions. Our emotions are part of us, but they are never intended to be an end to themselves. In other words, what we feel is never supposed to be our goal. It's never supposed to be our pursuit. It's not supposed to be our, fo our focus to attain an emotion or to avoid an emotion or to eliminate emotions. That's why you'll hear me say this over and over again. 
There are, it's just a common thing. People say it in our culture and people say it in churches. They say, well, I just want to be happy. I don't, don't you believe God wants us to be happy? Terrible theology. That is never supposed to be the pursuit. Happiness is a byproduct of other things. We'll talk more about that later. If, go, if your, happiness is your goal, first of all, you're in trouble. Secondly, you're mistaken. Because our emotions serve a purpose, but they are not supposed to be the focus or the driving force in our lives. Also, our emotions by themselves are usually not moral, meaning they're not innately good or evil. Now, there are versions of them you're going to hear about that get contaminated and that fuel things that can be sinful. But the emotions, is our picture I've heard, this is not original with me, but I use it all the time. Now I claim it's mine. It's my idea. Okay, thank you. <laughs> what emotions are, what the purpose they serve is emotions are the dashboard lights in your vehicle. They're indicators that there's something going on under the hood that might be worth paying attention to. So when the light comes on, it tells you something's going on underneath the hood. The purpose is not to try to make the light go on. The purpose is not to make the light go off. It's the, the purpose is to be aware of what's going on under the hood. So to say I shouldn't feel something is to deny that there's something going on under the hood. You don't bash out the dashboard light in order to solve the emotion. That's what some of us try to do. But that's, they are indicators of something. And, and they are also separate from our intellect and our will, part of being a person. This is hugely important in understanding them. Our intellect, our thoughts, and our values, and our beliefs our conclusions about life. Then there are there our emotions are what we feel, and then there's our will, which is our choices, our volition. Our behaviors come out of our will, what we choose to do. Those things, what we think, our intellect, and what we do, once the light comes on in, in the emotion, they, make, they go into action, and what happens next can determine whether our emotions take a turn toward being soiled and contaminating and defective, destructive, or not. So our, our emotion, and the, by the way, that's why when you look in the Bible and it describes certain emotions, it'll use the emotion and it'll distinguish it from it having a moral context. So in the New Testament, it'll say, be angry and do not sin. How can you do that? Most of us have never seen anger without sin attached to it, Right? We've blended it with our intellect, <clears throat> excuse me, and our will and our choices. But God seems to indicate you can feel something, you can feel the anger, and yet you cannot sin. Jesus got angry at the temple when he overturned the tables, but he did not sin. How did that happen? He distinguished, and we'll talk about this more, between the intellect, the emotion, and the will. He didn't deny the emotion. He just chose not to do something with it that would take it from its amoral dashboard light and turn it into sin. God is said to be a jealous God. I thought jealousy was wrong, correct? But God has a version of jealousy that is an emotional state that can be pure. Most of us have never see, experienced that, but he distinguishes between the two. We are told to fear in the Bible. We are told to fear the Lord, and yet then he turns around and says, fear not. How does that work? Because fear by itself is not sinful or not. It depends on what you think or do with it. So the emotional dashboard light comes on. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite God into our emotional state. You may or may not be ready for that. But if you're here in the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. Say, would you give us perspective on what we feel? Help us deal 
with what we feel. Now, I'm going to invite you to a passage of Scripture that we're going to land on eventually. But you can go ahead and turn there. It's in Luke chapter 10 in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, first three books of the New Testament, Luke chapter 10. I'm going to show you some other passages. And we're going to tease this out when it comes to what has been called the most common emotion that Americans face in this generation. It is the emotion of stress. Now, you saw, if you came in today at the very beginning of the service, you saw a definition of stress that was put on on the screens for us. Let me give you another dictionary definition. It says that stress is the physical, mental, or emotional strain or tension that results from adverse or very demanding circumstances. It's, a, it's an affect on us emotionally that, that comes along with a weight that, that comes with expectation or responsibility or demand of our time or energy or our status. There are correlating uh, terms that get used in, in the Bible about stress. This pressure, pressure is one of the words that gets used. There's a pressure that comes on somebody that something's undone, something needs to be done, there's something to be responsible for, there's something that needs attention. The word, another word gets used is burden. There's a burden, there's a weight placed on somebody because of something that's going on around them. There's, another word is tension, or often the word trouble or being troubled comes associated with this. Again, the stress itself, the pressure that comes on for something is not by itself generally evil or good. Because actually we're, we see that there are, there are stressors in our lives that can be very healthy. Very productive. Something some of us enjoy the challenge. We enjoy a challenge because it puts a stress that sparks us to heightened activity or productivity. By itself, it is not necessarily evil. It's a but it's a dashboard light. It's a receptive kind of reaction. It's a kind of a passive emotional response to strain or demand. And here's something that's true about it: stress is absolutely universal. There is no such thing as a stress-free person. There is no such thing as a stress-free life. If you have consciousness, you feel stress. It comes upon you. Jesus felt stress. Matthew 26, again, Garden of Gethsemane, he had Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful, and here's the word, troubled. He felt stress. The Apostle Paul talked about it. He says, when we were under great pressure, the word gets used there, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Not only did those guys feel it, Jesus guaranteed you would have it. In John 16, says this, in this world, you will have stress. You will have trouble. That's the word that gets used there. Take heart, I've overcome the world. But there's a guarantee there. You're going to feel it. You feeling it? Do you know that this has been called the stressed generation? That our young people who are growing up in this generation are, get, aren't you glad, guys? This, you are now stressed more than any generation in America up to this point. The stress comes from various places. Now, you, you may have affluence. You may have a whole lot of resources. But there's a stress because of the demands that come on your time and energy from uh, sound and light waves that come at you more than they've ever come at you in your life for expectations about where you're supposed to go, for, for demands on, on your life, the fact is, yeah, you are, you are under stress. Welcome to the club. We're all walking around with it. And what happens then is it, it has become amplified to extreme levels, toxic levels, destructive levels. 
it seems ironic to the rest of the world that the stress levels of people in third world countries, so those who are poor, some who are dying of starvation register less stress levels than normal middle class Americans do. Because of the demands on time and travel and productivity and pace. According to the Stress in America survey, American Psychological Association, 7 in 10 Americans, okay, look, look at 10 people around you. 7 out of 10 of you sitting in whatever section you're in right now, if this is, holds true here, say stress levels interfere with their physical and mental well-being, causing irritability, anger, fatigue, feelings of being overwhelmed, sleep loss, eating problems. 77% of us say that we are regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress. 73% have a psychological symptoms caused by stress. There's a lot more statistics about this. 20% put ourselves at the highest end of the scale on a great deal of stress. More than half of people surveyed in America say that they have made it a point in the last five years to try to reduce stress in their lives. And at the same time, 80% say that in that time their stress has increased. The, the causes of stress, here are the top ones. Number one, money, work, the economy, family responsibilities, relationships, family health problems, personal health concerns. We, we are walking around stressed. You got asked this question when you came in today with a blank piece of paper. And Dan gave us a little exercise, which we'll come back to. And, but the question still remains, what is it that's overwhelming you right now? Those things are the things that cause stress, and they have an effect on us because stress actually has a cumulative effect. You don't just have a little bit of stress and then move on to the next one. The fact that you've had it makes you that much more susceptible to its impact when you add others to it, even if one stressor leaves. Do you know that they say that stress is contagious? And you've seen this, haven't you? You walk in the room with someone who's stressed, and all of a sudden you feel stressed. You know, it's like this weird vibe coming and people feel it because they're around it in other people. The weight comes, it adds together, and then it begins to affect our health. Stress is a cause of 60% of all human illness and disease. Think about that. It costs our nation $300 billion every year to treat it, medical bills and lost productivity. Three out of four doctor's visits, if you're a doctor, three out of four people who come in, have, their ailments are some way related to stress in their lives. And so the physical symptoms include fatigue, headache, upset stomach, muscle tension, change in appetite, teeth grinding, change in sex drive, feeling dizzy. Have you felt any of those lately? Psychological symptoms, irritability or anger. Feeling nervous, lack of energy, feeling as though you could cry. Those all come into play. Now, we don't have to be told too much about that, but what it does is it, it creates a weakness within us. It creates a sense of overwhelming within us and a, and a sense of lost volition. And this is not just true in our culture. This has been true of humankind. The Bible, which is very honest, the writers of the Bible readily admit that that's the case. Again, the Apostle Paul talking about the stress in his life. And I'm going to pick this up. So I think this passage is, is one of the ones in your program that's worth reading. When he talks about the stressors in his life, and he gives this laundry list that when you read it, you just go, oh my goodness. 
I'm just going to pick up toward the end of what he says. When he says this in 2 Corinthians 11, starting with verse 27, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I've faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? It's a very, very honest statement from somebody who was following Jesus. What it tends to do then is it produces some unhealthy coping mechanisms within us. And one of them is now the word that it's actually become a clinical word in some psychological circles. And that word, it's a human condition. And that, and that word is frenzied. That stress affects us so that we just say, I have to produce, I have to keep moving, I have to overcome. And so our lives are, and our pace becomes frenzied. Where we're running from one thing to the next, we can't get a breath we feel completely out of control, but we don't stop. We're on a treadmill, and we go, and we go, and we go, and we go. And it becomes this chronic condition. Know anybody who's had that? Remember the difference between intellect, emotion, and will? The emotion of stress comes because of things, and then what happens is it begins to bleed into the other areas, and then it produces what's called anxiety and worry and despair. And for others of us, the unhealthy coping mechanism turns toward ways to deaden its effect on us. So we self-medicate. We find ways to try to, to push it down. We turn to se uh, uh, inappropriate sexual stimulants to try to give us a rush, to give us an alternative to feel something different because of the stress we're under. We even convince ourselves that we deserve it because we've been so frenzied that it's just a way to blow off steam. And for then others of us, the way we deal with it is we begin to withdraw or shut down. We shut down emotionally or we shut down in terms of what we're committed to. We start quitting stuff. We start not showing up for things. We start blowing things off. We start being irresponsible. And then we hear God who kind of speaks into our lives and we just sang about this and we say that there's something that's true about God that he gives peace we go that sounds good but that's not my experience how do i get that he talks about entering into his rest how do you do that and the question then is how does a christ follower somebody who said i believe that jesus christ is the giver of life i believe that i can draw my life from him now i want to know how does that work when it comes to stress in my life i want to invite a friend up to just help us think about this a little bit Lisa Simon is a, uh, is a professional counselor, and I asked her if she'd come and share with us and ask her a few questions. We're gonna, um, Lisa works for Crossroads Counseling um, Group. She's got a master's degree, and she's a part of our family around here. Yeah, come on up. And uh, Lisa's, I asked Lisa to join us because Lisa spends a whole lot of time talking with people who come in and say they don't know what to do and they need help because of something that's a stressor in their life. Thanks for being up here. Thanks for um, having me. Let, let me ask you this. So you have a lot of people come in, and, um, and people bring their, their stressors. When, when they mention, what are the most common ones that you see? What are the things that you see that people come in and they say, this is what's caught triggering stress in my life? Mm -hmm. I wrote down the four 
most common things people say to me. The first one is, why can't my life be the way it used to be? Mm. That is trying to control the past, I guess, is a way to say it. Another one people say is, why can't people do what I want them to do? <laughs> trying to control others. Uh, the next one is, I feel more in control when I worry. Mm. I've actually had people say that to me. <laughs> That's I'm trying to control the world. Because it feels like I'm having some influence on what's happening, even though I'm not. I'm just if feeling I, something for it. Yeah, they say, I'm trying to think of all the different things that could happen, yeah. so I'll be ready. Is that yeah. possible? No. Uh, and I the, don't want to talk about that one. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one is, uh, I don't want to make changes in my life because if I do, other people will get angry. Mm. And so that is allowing other people to control me. All right, so, so if, if it's true that stress is a normal part of life, and there's appropriate levels or not. How do you, what are the signs or how do you know when someone is having too much, that it's, it's becoming something that's becoming debilitating or it's affecting them in negative ways? Mm -hmm. uh, I can't stop worrying. I just can't stop myself. I want to, but I can't. That's one thing. Uh, and then uh, I find myself finding things to worry about because back to that I feel better if I worry because I'm preparing myself which is not really <laughs> useful or true mm, mm. Uh, and then as you said when worry starts to bleed into uh, sleep and health and relationships and, and work uh, then I know I'm I, I have a problem with it okay so when that happens you see a lot of people come in and they are caught in some unhealthy ways Mm -hmm. of coping with yes. their stress. What are some of the most common things that maybe somebody here can relate and go, oh, mm -hmm. maybe that's not the healthiest way. What are some of them that mm -hmm. you see? And I, I wrote down the most common things that people have tried doing. Uh, and, and you said substituting mm -hmm. uh, with alcohol, drugs, buying things, anger, uh, overeating, pornography, cigarettes, uh, things like that that you already said. Uh, that's just substituting. Uh, instead of dealing with. Another one it, that you mentioned is avoidance. Uh, inactivity, ignoring, just shutting down. I love when you said quitting. Yeah. <laughs> just quitting. I just don't, I just want to pretend it ain't there. Mm. Just. So uh, the third one I wanted to say that you hadn't mentioned is triangulating, which Some obviously what, what uh, is a third thing that I'm using. Uh, I'm angry with Tom and I go home, and I'm so mad that Tom said this thing to me. So I call my friend, and I say, you won't believe what Tom said to me. So how, how long do I feel better for? Five minutes? What if I talked to Tom and told him that I was upset, and we worked it out? Then I, would, I could cross that off my list. You would release of, some of that stress. Yes. So we, we use other people uh, sometimes to, yeah. and we can use other things too, like TV or, or video games or something, but a lot of times it's another person. And we're not using them to solve the problem, we're just mm -hmm. using them to, to neutralize our anxiety for, like I said, five minutes. And then it's just gonna come back. And that's why we have that constant chronic stress. Yeah. 
All right, so you already kind of went into this last thing I want to ask you, which uh, probably a whole lot of people here might be interested in hearing from a counselor. Somebody's overwhelmed. They've got poor things, effects they've had, and now they just want to know, what, what do I, what's an alternative? What are some tools that can, I can put into place that would help this have its proper place in my life or would take me a different direction? What are, what are some of the things you help people steer towards? Yes, that's my favorite part. Mm. Uh, if if you if you just think of one word after you leave today, let it be the word flexible. Flexibility. That's a really good word to to work on with ourselves, uh, because if you notice those things I mentioned, those four things that people come in with, the word control was in every one of them. Am I really allowing other people to control me or, or I can control the world? No, that's not even possible. So if I could be flexible and, and just, just work on myself enough to say, whatever happens, I can handle it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to handle it because I've worked on my stuff. That is the only way to, uh, to get through uh, with the minimal stress. Uh, I want to quote Freud because I know a couple of people in here love Freud. Uh, he said, neurosis or stress is the inability to tolerate ambiguity. Ambiguity means I don't know what's ahead, and I hate that. hate ambiguity. I just want to know everything. I want to know what's ahead. There's only one person who knows everything. <laughs> so it's just pointless to, to have that as a goal. Uh, another one that... Uh, I wrote these down of, of things that I say a lot to people is let let your yes be yes and your no be no. Know who you are so that if someone else says something, you don't feel like you have to do that or, or listen to that. You already know how you want to run your life. It's less stressful. Um, having a community of, of people, mm -hmm. healthy, supportive people, healthy, supportive people, like uh, we, a cell group. Like, oh, well, like a cell group, for example. Right. Uh, to, uh, to, to help us through, because we, we should not do this by ourselves, not isolate, not try to do it ourselves, and not have accountability. Very, very important. Uh, um, working on accepting myself versus uh, perfectionism, which boils down to um, expectations of myself that are not perfect. Uh, doable and, and all other people's expectations of me which are not really doable. Just to know myself and have a peace inside knowing how I want to run my life and not um, having those unrealistic expectations. The, and the last thing is, is a kind of a counseling thing, dealing with our past issues because when we um, don't deal with our past, we look at everything through that and that's not accurate. Uh, a fear or a, uh, an anxiety or a trauma, everything, the world looks like that, and that's not accurate. And so that causes stress for me constantly, and, and it doesn't need to. But if I get rid of those things, I could see everything more accurately. Mm, very good. Thank you. Well, we could talk another half hour, but thank you for that. And, um, and thank you for what you do to help people address and look at this area of life in the name of God and helping them steer toward what his ways are. I appreciate that. Would you help yeah. me thank Lisa for that? Now, now here's, here's what I want to do in the time we have left, and this is going to be briefer than it should be. I had you, I invited you to turn to uh, 
Luke chapter 10, um, and, and see a very common story because we're going to ask very quickly here. So, based on even from what Lisa said, what, what are some tools? And I'm not, we're not going to give you a formula. We're not going to give you three steps. If we were, I would go with what David Mamet, the playwright, screenwriter said, was the solution is to, uh, to stress. He said, we must have a pie. Stress cannot exist in the presence of a pie. <laughs> I wish that were true entirely, but we could add it. But here's something you're going to see, and again, very briefly, but, but from, the, from the book of Luke, this is the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus going to their home at the end of Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus' and disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a, ma- a woman named Mar- Martha opened her home to him. She has a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, been ma- had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, I'm stressed. I'm paraphrasing. Lord, don't you care that my sister left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. You're, if you're around church at all, you've probably heard this story maybe a, many times. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset, you're stressed about many things. Only one thing is needed. Mary's chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I'm not going to boil that down to try to make it simplistic, but here's some thoughts, okay? First of all, when we want tools and ways to say, what do I do so that the stress in my life does not turn, me in, turn into something that becomes debilitating and sinful and controlling in my life? First of all, is this. It's what not to do. Not to, uh, the, to change our goal so it, our goal is not to attain a stress-free life. There is a very, very famous Bible teacher who, if I said the name, you would immediately recognize it, who said this about the Holy Spirit. He will never lead you into stress because he is the Prince of Peace. That is fundamentally wrong. If that was accurate, then you would have to ask, so when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, was he not being led by the Holy Spirit? Of course he was. It's not the absence of stress in our lives that is God's goal. It is not God's goal to make us happy. It is God's goal to make us holy. And sometimes that's going to mean involving stress in our lives. Change, first of all, our understanding of its place. And then we're going to talk about the difference between engaging the intellect and the emotion and the will. Because that's what happens with Mary and Martha. Now I'm going to read between the lines a little bit, but I think this is based on solid exegesis of what happens here. You engage the intellect, which means... Something, we feel something, and then we have a decision to make with our minds of what we do. We assign value to it. We, we assign priority to it. We, 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 see, we assign importance to it. When, when Martha had this thing happen where she sees her sister not helping her, and she feels the pressure to get stuff done, she, had, she, decide, she thought some things. She had a perspective on it. And and the difference is between what is important and what is urgent. One of the best little booklets I ever read was a a booklet called The Tyranny of the Urgent that helps us understand the difference between something that is urgent in our lives, meaning it is absolutely essential from God's perspective that has to happen or, or in our minds versus what is important. And that is God says it's important, not it just feels that way. An author, Natalie Goldberg, says, stress is an ignorant state. It believes that everything is an emergency. That's what urgency is. Something happens, I've got to act. I've got to know. I've got to do. I've got to follow through. Martha sees a need and she says, she feels the stress and she, she assigns value to it. She thinks, she, has, she thinks something about it. 
The way, one of the ways we can change that is to ask ourselves, think about the thing that's pressing itself in your world right now, the thing that has to happen, that's being pulled in so directions, to ask, what's the worst thing that could happen if this doesn't get attention right away? Or if this goes unsolved? He's, do you see in verse 41 or verse 42? He says, she, only one thing, Jesus says, is needed. One thing is important here. Everything else, it feels, it's putting pressure on you, but you, you can decide what is needed at this moment, what's important. If you decide that it's not as important, it releases some of its stress on us. Along with that, you see that the intellect is that, he uses the words, you're worried and upset, verse 41. You're worried and upset about many things. There's, there's this intense pressure that's coming on, but there's something that's true about those pressures. Every last one of them has a half-life to it. It's temporary. It's not permanent. One of, I had a mentor who told me this when I was going through an incredible amount of some stressful things going on in my life. He said, Tom, remember, these things have a half-life to them. You will not feel this way forever. Whatever it is that you're feeling that's putting stress on you, it will, it do, will not last forever. It has a half-life to it. You get perspective on how, what you think about it. And so ask your, we could ask ourselves, this is the intellect part, where we're assigning value to say, the thing that's put pressing on us right now, five years from this date, it's 2021. In 2021, how important will that thing be to you? When we start to think about it differently, it releases some of the pressure because we say, probably not as important as it feels right now. The way it feels is not the reality of what is true. There's a difference between our intellect and our emotion. So we engage, here's the, here's the point. When we feel the stress, we realize that the stress and, and what our emotion is not all of who we are. We separate it and say, but now I've got something to think about. Not just feel, but think about. The other thing is then I have something to choose. I, have, I engage the will, intellect, emotion, and will. What we choose to do doesn't have to be dictated to by what we feel, and this is significant. Because look at, look, look at what happens. It says in verse 42, only Jesus, let me start in 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried, you're upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, important, and Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. She made a choice. Our emotions don't have to dictate our choices. We can step back from our emotions and say, I sure feel something, but in the moment, I still have the capacity to choose differently than what I feel. That's going to come up a bunch when we talk about our other emotions. And we can make choices about things that will naturally off offset the negative effects of the stress. Lisa just gave you several. You can make choices to build things in our lives. We can build we can build rest into our lives. You know, the study just came out this week. Uh, the Center for Disease Control says a third of Americans get less than seven hours of sleep a night on average. That might even be low in this room. So, so, but sleep is something that naturally offsets the negative effects of stress. Exercise it. Diversion does that. You know what that means? It means saying no to really, really good things. Here's something that you need to understand, we need to understand about Mary and Martha. 
What Martha did was not a bad thing. She was serving Jesus. What's wrong with that? But Mary chose to say no to that certain things so that the things that, that would give her the better outcome could be available to her. She was not under compulsion to do those. And along with that, we make choices then to rest. Jesus called on people to do that all the time. His disciples, you could say, man, his disciples had a lot of work to do. They, they needed to be productive. And this is what he says to them. This is Mark 6, 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me to a quiet place and get some rest. You know that Jesus said no to healing more people than he healed. The lines to be healed extended forever. The more he healed, the more people wanted. And there were many, many times it says he withdrew from the crowd. Do you know what that means? He disappointed some people. But he exercised his volition. He felt compassion, but he exercised his will to do what was best in that moment. We have that capacity because we're created in the image of God. And you may make a choice to be, hear this, don't, this is not just Sunday speak. We make a choice whether or not we will be in regular proximity to the heart of Jesus himself. Because here's what he said, there is something to be found in just being in the presence of Jesus from the heart. When I choose to enter his presence, in his presence, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, something happens to my stress level. This is, a, this is a very famous passage. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are stressed, right? Who are weary and burdened. There's the word. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is not saying he'll remove the stressors. He's saying, if you come to me, you'll feel relief from their negative effects. We come into the, his presence by in our worship of him, in our awareness of him, and in our prayer. So that's why Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and something happens. By being in proximity to him and saying, here are the stressors in my life, he doesn't necessarily say he will solve them all. What he does say is the next verse. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a lot more we could say about this, but here's what the psalmist says. In my anguish, I cried to the Lord and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me. That's the thing. The Lord is with me. Not just, yeah, I know theologically he's with me. No, I'm practicing his presence. When I'm in his presence, I will not be afraid because I have better perspective on what can man do to me. This practice of being, uh, of being close in proximity with God, it's, it's what we're going to talk about at our Engage mini-seminar in two Saturdays. You should come. Tools for saying, how do I spend time with God? How do I get in His Word? How do I get in prayer? How do I, how do I exercise the disciplines that have me do that? Because when we do, this is what's true. Psalm 46. And you, probably, you might have heard this passage before, but it has to do with our stress levels as much as anything else. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And then there's more that's said about it, the things that are still, the stressors in our lives, but it comes down to this place. Be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me ask you, what, we could talk a lot more about it and we should in our groups this week, but what are the things that are bearing down on you with their stress level right now? What effect is it having on you? And what are you doing in response to it? In particular, what is happening with your intellect, your mind about it? What is happening with your will about it? The more we can separate those and say, I'm going to feel it, but then I have some choices. We can see the grip of stress release us from the negative effects, from the sinful kinds of choices. And we can see it serve a purpose that makes us more holy even while we're walking in the midst of stress. Let's do that with each other. And we see what God does to, to not only subside stress in our lives, but to form it and use it to make us more like His Son. A lot more to talk about it, but let's talk to Him about it. Let's pray. I'll pause now, even now, God, to say, in this room, we, I want to practice this. That right now, I don't want to just talk to you. I want to, I'll, I'll talk out loud, but I, I want to ask you to draw us all into your presence. There are some people in the room right now who there is a, a burden so heavy on them that they, maybe they've talked about it, maybe they haven't, but you know and they know. And they're carrying that. They are feeling so stressed. They don't feel answers. They don't have hope. Would you breathe your hope just by being in your presence right now? God, as they right now present their heart to you, and even their stressors to you. Would you give perspective to them on that to help their intellect know what's true about how important it is or isn't? Would you help them to see that they have volition, that there are choices they can make that are healthy choices even in the middle of it? I want to ask that you would give freedom in the middle of the stress, freedom to know you, freedom to, to be at peace, even while we feel the pressure. And Lord, I pray that you would bind us with each other so that in, the, in your name together we can walk this road. We can bear each other's stresses. We can find the relief that comes because we walk with you together through this. I do ask, Lord, I'll ask that you would remove, some, for some of us, there's a source of pain that's so, so wrong. We'll ask you to remove it just like your son asked, if the cup could pass from him. But together, we'll say, even if not, we'll say, let your will be done. And then make us people who, who follow you in the middle of it and find health and wholeness and aliveness and peace, regardless of the level of stress we're facing right now. Make that happen, please. And we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about anger, and we're going to talk about depression, and that's there's another one on the other end of that, right? We're, those are, we're going this is a this is an important time, and I encourage you to bring somebody with you who might be struggling. And we're not going to just feed them sunshine and roses. We're not going to act like it's all better, but we're just going to unpack it together and see what God says to maybe get some perspective in the weeks ahead. Now. Um, there's, there's some important stuff going on to tell you about. Okay, we have, today, we have a guest reception. 
and it is a stand-up thing. You can come in and come out. You've got a little bit of refreshment. You can um, ask any question you want. There's no pres- formal presentation. It's just a chance. So if, if you're new around here, could you come and say hi to us? We're going to be in the cafe, which is on the other side of the coat racks. And you can go to the front of the line to get your kids first and come on in. You can tell them, I, I'm, I'm going to the guest reception. You can go right to the front of the line, get your kids, come and join us. Um, there's a chance to just come in, meet some folks. And I, we'd love to, if, if, if you've never been to one, would you just come hang out? Just let us know that some of us, I'll be there and some others from our, our team. And um, we just would love to say hello. That would be a great uh, gift to us for you to say, say hello this morning. Uh, there's another me- uh, meeting that's going on today. We're going to do a baby dedication in March. And if, you have a, if you're interested in dedicating your child to the Lord, which is, comes straight out of Scripture, and it's a very, very cool thing that we do in a couple of, we invite you to understand how we do it, and there's a process to it. And there's a meeting for that both today and next week. So if you know somebody who's playing it, but they couldn't be here today, you can remind them. And that happens somewhere that I can't remember, in the building. Somebody tell me, where is it? Okay, Kids Life Room, thank you, down door five. Perfect. Okay, that's going to happen right after the service also. Um, and then t- uh, today there's a, is the first time to sign up for this, and I mentioned it. I think there's an insert in your program. There's an all-church thing that we would just love everybody to come to, and they we're calling it Engage. It's, a ha- it's half a day. It's 9 to 12. The lunch is included. It's only $10, and it is a chance. Again, if, let me just ask you this. Do you ever find yourself saying, I wish I could be more consistent in how I am close to God? Consistent in the Bible, consistent in prayer, consistent with the disciplines to know him better. What are tools for doing that? Um, this is a jump start for that, and it's really, really going to be effective. It, you'll hear more about it when you get there, about some ways to take the next 40 days afterwards and put it into practice. But, but invest three hours in that in two Saturdays. And to sign up, it helps us get lunch and stuff ready. That's in the lobby today, starts today. So I hope you'll join us for that. I think you have pencils that you were given. I think there are boxes that are going to be by the doors. If you wouldn't mind just taking those with you, dropping those in the boxes. I think I've got everything, all right? Hope you'll join us in groups this week. Thanks for coming. See you next time.